There are days, this is one of them, when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. I'm not an object of missionary charity. I am one of the people who built the country. Until this moment, there is scarcely any hope for the American dream. Because the people who are denied participation in it, by their very presence, will wreck it. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is... Hey y'all, welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now, as America continues to attempt to reconcile its history of racism and black subordination in this country, we wanna talk about how those biases and flat out discriminations show up in the workplace. Now, as black folks in this country, we know all too well that these opportunities are not just because of a lack of our opportunity, but indeed a lack of visibility and lack of equal access. So we're going to get straight to it with an extremely special guest, someone that means a lot to me personally, because she's indeed one of my biggest role models. She currently hosts Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien, and she runs the company Soledad O'Brien Productions. Welcome, Soledad. Hi, nice to see you. Thank you for such a kind introduction. Uh, absolutely. I'm, my inner fangirl is going nuts, but I'm going to try my best to try to act like a professional here. Um, <laughs> so here at Revolt, Soledad, we get straight to the shit. So again, I just want to try to run down what I recall of your experience and then ultimately your departure from CNN, because it was really shocking to many of us. You know, you don't go from the top of your game and, and such a widely celebrated talent like yourself to out the door. What's the tea? No, you really can actually. Uh, the, 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 I mean, it, it sounds more dramatic than it is. Um, uh, there was just new administration came in, a new president came in, and I was not his flavor of the month. And that happens a lot, mm. frankly. And mm. it's happened, I mean, when you're a TV anchor, you know, they, the joke is first they change the set, then they change the producers, then they fire the anchor. Like, that's kind of wow. how it consistently goes when anybody doesn't like what they're seeing. And so that, that actually is not particularly unusual. Jeff Sucker came in to run CNN and he said to me, you know, I could stay on, but he didn't want me to keep doing the show I was doing. And it seemed to me that not, um, that being a fill-in person, that I'd be kind of a, like a utility player where they needed me, you know, which mm. I ranked. And that was the part where I was like, well, I actually felt like I had a big enough name and a big enough brand and had done enough kind of award-winning work that I could leverage what I had into other things and start reporting on the stuff I wanted to. So the decision was mine. So I, I really can't sort of blame anybody and no one kicked me out. I could still be working there today, I guess, if I wanted to, probably not, but if I wanted to. But if someone doesn't see a vision for you that you see for yourself, I think you sort of mm. owe it to go and do other things. And, and, and I've made that decision when I worked in local news in San Francisco, right? You know, where the bosses would say, well, we don't see this for you. Mm. At some point, you have to say, well, I kind of see it for myself, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I actually think I can go do it. So it's not that unusual. Yeah. I probably had three or four times in my career where I've said, I, I think I can do it. Why is it that when it comes to Black anchors, particularly and cable news and you know, some of the network news, why are we always put on the weekends, Soledad? Because I've noticed that. I'm just going to ask you flat out because I'm going to tell you. I, I, I anchor you weekend know. today, so let me tell you the answer to that. So one day. Please tell a, me. 
I was anchoring weekend today. The executive producer was a black woman, my best friend, godmother to my children. Um, the co-anchor with me, I think it was Maurice Dubois. The oh. newsreader was, I can't remember, but it was a black person. And the and Janice Hupp was doing the weather. And at one point, we all looked up. Like, we're like, what? We're about to be fired. This entire show is black. And Kim, I remember one year for the Today Show, had Black Santa on the Today Show for Weekend Today. Um, yeah, well, because I think, you know the answer to this. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, which is, yeah, it allows people- my black ass on the weekends, definitely, at course. my previous network. And, and, and I'm just it's, like, damn, why are we all here? I mean, when I, I worked on a show in San Francisco where when they were doing their diversity count, they used to count the security guards so that they could up their number because we had no diversity on that show. Well, and, well. <laughs> but, but it's But it's the same philosophy, right? It's like right. you get to sort of, talk about diversity without, you know, in terms of just numbers, without saying who's around the table, who has power, who has access, who has a voice, who really moves the needle when it comes to suggesting stories or demanding stories or, or pushing a point of view that maybe doesn't get hurt. It does wear you down. And I, I think, um, you know, you can sit there. One of the reasons I left NBC for CNN was exactly that, that people would say to me, but you're, you're up you're in line to take over from Katie Kirk. Right. I'm like, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm yeah. really not. Isn't and that sad though, Soledad? Because like you're saying, the audience who's consuming the content you're delivering, they do see that vision, but it's inside your own house. It's internal that that vision isn't realized. It's one of the reasons I left. So I don't know. I guess yeah. I don't see it as sad. I see it as there are other opportunities. It is what it is. And what ends up happening yeah. is... Uh, it, I think news organizations lose people. The, any any company, one of the reasons I think we're having lots of conversations today about diversity and inclusion is not just like everybody kumbaya has suddenly realized it's really important. And it feels, it's because you're losing your talent, right? You're, right. you're, it's hitting your bottom line. Who wants to I agree with that. toil yeah. in, in obscurity, you know, being a backup player when someone decides, hey, we need you Friday at 10. Wait a minute now, Tuesday at noon. Wait a minute now, Wednesday at 5. Oh, I, so that. that, I fell into a whole full-on depression my final days at Fox because they took me from weekend anchoring to then the overnights. And I was like, oh, y'all really it. playing with me. Y'all are really it. playing with me. And uh, it was time to go. And I, I was able to, to thankfully walk away from the remainder of my contract you, you can't expect people to have a vision for you. You have to have the vision for yourself. And I, I think you've done that. I certainly have tried to do that. I'm like, yeah, screw it. You know, if you don't have a vision for me and not everybody does, and sometimes sure. it's not even evil, right? Sometimes it's just people don't see it. They do not see it. And so then they you have to see it for yourself. That. But I do find it very suspicious that they see it for a lot of people that don't look like us. Well, That's my they take. See it for a, listen, you're right. <laughs> and they see, it for a, they see it for a lot of people who, for whom it doesn't work out, and it becomes you know, yeah. very, very expensive. Like Mel, yeah. Megyn Kelly is a very good example of a $69 million error. During your time at CNN, it was said to you by an executive that it was important for you to book the right kind of black people. No, um, no, they were talking no? specifically about Roland Martin. So about yes, Roland. That, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. no, we, you know, we I, I anchored the morning show, and uh, it was a panel, so there were three people, and Roland was on a lot, and he had a, a, um, a contributor's sure. contract. So I, I don't know the details of the contract, but he probably was on three times a week. Oh, he was on consistently a lot. And Very at one much. point, yeah, the I senior executive said to me, yeah, yeah, people talked about it a lot. A woman took me, executive took me aside and she said that. She said, you know, you know, he's not the right kind of black. And I knew exactly what she meant, right? What Which did is, she mean? Yeah, what did I, she mean? 
I, I mean, I told Roland actually, uh, right? right? Good because for I, you. I had to explain yeah. to him why he wasn't being booked. Um, I think what she was saying, at least how I took what she was saying, right, was that, you know, he seemed to her to be too much of the people and she wanted mm. someone who was much more uh, erudite and didn't sound so black and didn't look so black and didn't come across so black. I mean, and, you know, it's I'm all of that in quotes. Um, so, and, and, and actually probably more than all of that, I think she was looking for someone who didn't make her uncomfortable. I, I would put it that way, right? Which is like, and and I think I make people comfortable and I think other people sometimes don't make people comfortable. And I think a lot of diversity hires is like, I'm okay with you. This I can deal with. This over here is a little too aggressive, a little too loud, a little too black, all in quotes here. And I don't think she was saying, you know, Roland himself. I think she was sort of like, there's this category of black man who's like, I want this kind. Just like, right. you know, I, I think they do it for women too, right? I mean, uh, you know, they, yeah, yeah, so, right. This, yeah, like, I'm, this I'm, is this is comfortable yeah. for me, you know. But she's gonna wear that, and she's gonna be loud like that, and she's gonna look like that. I just that I can't do, but this I can do. Now, before we let you go, final question: We've seen in recent weeks everyone from Amanda Seals leaving the Real. And Gabrielle Union, of course, being very vocal about her experience with NBC and America's Got Talent. And, and Black Talent is just simply saying, uh, time's up on no Black executive leadership, no Black decision makers, as you say, uh, and that affecting their ability to do their job on air. Um, your reactions to those, uh, those, those statements and those women, you know, leaving those spaces. Now right. there are more platforms and there are more opportunities, right? So if Gabrielle Union does that, she's not saying, well... I guess I never work again. She's like, right. I, you know who I am? <laughs> they need me. Do you know how big my social media following is? Certainly. I've got 27 other offers on my desk. I, I don't need to do this. And if you want to work with someone like me, here's what people like me who can bring a diverse audience to you need. Right. So yeah. I love that she's leveraging her power and being very honest about her experiences. I run a very small company. We have 11 full-time employees. We are literally this big. But I can go do what I want. I, I don't yes. need to have somebody sort of say, well, we've decided that Soledad is our right kind of person. You can carve out your own thing. We, you know, a lot of hard work and a tremendous amount of luck, you know, but um, I just think it's a different time. And so mm. I think for people who now are leveraging social media, they can do mm. what they want. Amen. Amen. I love it. Well, listen, Soledad, I am so grateful for your experience and your insight here on these issues. And indeed, I do feel like this is a moment where Black talent is really taking their power back. And I'm grateful for it. And that's why I'm having my best life here at Revolt TV, doing exactly that. Um, Soledad O'Brien, thank you so much. So my we've got much nice more. To see you. Yeah, you as well. We've got much more coming up on Revolt Black News. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. These are today's headlines. All eyes are on Kentucky, specifically their Democratic Senate primary, which will tell us exactly who's going to face off against Mitch McConnell come November. Now, special attention is being placed on voter suppression, with polling places reduced by 95%. We've got everybody from Stacey Abrams to LeBron James voicing their frustrations. Now, y'all, we knew this was coming. We knew there would be every effort to suppress and eliminate black voices at the voting booth. Y'all, we will not be deterred. I encourage you to stay in line and ensure that your voice and your vote are counted. 
The FBI is going to be investigating the recent events that led to a noose being found in NASCAR star Bubba Wallace's garage. Last night in Talladega, fellow drivers and crew members marched in solidarity with Wallace's car. Let's take a look. As we have stated unequivocally, there is no place for racism in NASCAR. And this act only strengthens our resolve to make the sport open and welcoming to all. Reports are now surfacing that another noose was found hanging in a tree at Sonoma Raceway in California. Y'all, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, home of Charlotte Motor Speedway, one of the great stops in NASCAR. And I can tell you that that culture in NASCAR is not going to take this type of change lightly. Uh, indeed, uh, Confederate flags and symbols of the Confederacy are rampant in the NASCAR community. So when NASCAR comes out this week and takes a bold stance against that type of blatant racism, indeed, some folks are going to be mad. Let them be mad. Let them hang their nooses or do whatever it is they got to do. But the, a new day is upon us. And that is what it is. So much love and support to Bubba Wallace. Much love and support to NASCAR for actually finally doing the right thing here. It will be tough. There will be dissenters. But I encourage you to keep going because you want to be on the right side of history on this issue. One of the Minneapolis cops charged with killing George Floyd, J. Alexander King, was recently out on bail and confronted in a local grocery. Let's take a look. So you're out of prison yes. and you're comfortably shopping in Cup Foods as if you didn't do anything. I'm not, well, I wouldn't call it comfortably. I'd just say getting necessities or helping. Do you, I don't think you should have that right. I don't even think you should be out on bail. I can understand. I that. mean, how does it feel? I'm sorry you feel that way. No, you're not sorry. Like you're literally outside here comfortably as if you didn't kill that man. Did you think that people weren't going to recognize you? Honestly, did you? You don't have the right to be here. You, you you killed somebody in cold blood. You do not have the right to be here. I understand. I'll get my stuff paid for. No, we don't want you to get your stuff. We want you to be locked up. The funeral service for Rashard Brooks took place in Atlanta at Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was co-pastor during the 1960s. Dr. King's daughter, Bernice A. King, was one of the many who spoke. My daddy, Martin Luther King Jr., who taught us that true peace is not merely the absence of tension, but it is the presence of justice. Therefore, there can be no peace in Atlanta nor anywhere in our nation where there is no justice. No justice, no peace. We're seeing COVID spikes in Florida, Arizona, and 11 other states. What's surprising is that the majority of those cases are prevalent in 20 to 30-year-olds. Again, just because these cities and states are opening back up, y'all, not a lot has changed health-wise. We're opening back up because of the economy, because of business interests. But there's still no vaccine. There is still no cure. There is still no immunity when it comes to coronavirus. Continue to wear your mask, continue to social distance, and be safe. The eviction moratorium that was put in place at the beginning of the pandemic is coming to an end in a lot of states. This could leave a lot of black and brown people without a place to live. Now, this is really going to have a devastating effect, y'all, in our communities. So continue to be generous, to donate, to give, to support folks that still do not have the economic resources to pay the rent that are now going to become due. As efforts continue, to remove Confederate and slave-owning statues, 
A group of demonstrators near the White House were arrested before they could topple the 167-year-old statue of Andrew Jackson. Let's take a look. The outdoor apparel company, Patagonia, said it will join the advertising boycott of Facebook and Instagram, being led by a coalition of civil rights groups, including the NAACP. Well, this is exactly what we're talking about on this show. We've got to talk about the white collar response to what's going on in the streets and boardrooms of America. So Patagonia is a great start. Hope to see more join. So that's it for today's headlines. When we come back, I'll speak with Sharon Shooter and Omar Johnson about exactly who's calling the shots in corporate America. This is Revolt Black News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. I am here with two powerhouse dynamic individuals that are really shaking up corporate America. Queen, Sharon Tudor, she is a phenomenal, legendary person in corporate America space, and she has really rocked the world with her pull up or shut up campaign, challenging beauty brands and corporations to speak openly about their number of black representation at the highest levels. Also joining us, Omar Johnson. Omar has been a VP at Apple. He's done many other things in corporate America. But right now, Omar is on everybody's lips because of the scathing but incredibly accurate letter that he wrote to corporate America calling them out and telling them exactly what they need to do to be a part of the change. Thank you both, Omar and Shem, for joining us. Thank Thank you. I'm going to start with you, Sharon, because pull up or shut up to me is exactly on time. We've Mm -hmm. all seen uh, the performative advocacy and outrage that all the corporations and companies have demonstrated over the past few weeks in the wake, of course, of the tragic and brutal murder of George Floyd and so many others, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, we we know their names. And everybody's putting their blackout screen on on Woke Tuesday and all this this really bullshit, really, quite frankly, I'm going to say it plain. But you have challenged people, Sharon, to say, especially in the beauty industry, do you love us enough? Do we matter enough to hire us? And you have asked companies to put that on paper and show and reveal their efforts here. Tell us about how Pull Up or Shut Up became a thing and where you're at right now with it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it just came out of pure frustration. We've been talking about this for a long time, about the lack of inclusivity is the reason why I left corporate America or just corporate in general. I was an executive. I was the only black person in the Asia Pacific region, period, across all brands, including the field team. So imagine and that, was that, that was Louis Vuitton. Yeah, that was exactly. That was Louis Vuitton. People don't understand how much these corporations own, you know. So people sort of think Louis Vuitton, think, no, think LVMH. We're talking about Benefit, Fresh, mm. Dior, you know, Louis Vuitton, like everything, Louève. Like it is, it owns, it, it currently owns Tiffany as well. You know, before in 2014, when we said Black Lives Matter, white people came out and said All Lives Matter, and that boom, end the conversation. They shut everything up, you know. But to be honest, the only reason a lot of companies were speaking up this time and they never spoken up before is because. This is a new generation. The millennials and Gen Z require social activism from companies to support. Corporations only listen to two things. Bottom line, PR. This is a moment. This is even a possibility 
because it is good for the business aspect. It, it is good for the bottom line and the it financial. It is good for the bottom. They are not doing this out of the charity of their heart. Is that the fact that, and especially in an industry like mine, like beauty, the consumer. That's why we have everybody's vegan now. That's why everybody's cruelty free. So the consumer has the power, and I wanted to also educate the black consumer and create some awareness that literally do not buy where you're not hired. And the truth is, you're not hired in many places. Period. Amen. Omar, I want to come to you here because when you write this corporate letter to America and you say uh, these are the things that not only you need to do to change, but then you supplement with a playbook that I know you've come out with just in the past few days. As the companies come to you and say, oh, well, Omar, we finally realized we've been part of the problem. What do we do? You have an answer, right. You have an actual answer for them. Omar, tell us what's in the playbook and what are you advising companies that want to make good on this moment to do? My obsession is I want to make this black inequality issue a business issue. Look, I don't necessarily have faith in each individual person in corporate America, but I have faith in corporate America and I have faith in corporations that when they actually set the bar for themselves, they'll beat it. That's why our economy grows. That's why the NASDAQ is what it is. It's because company beat, they beat their numbers. And I call it the hard data, right? The ones and zeros. What are people paid? Salaries? Are they at parity? Um, how many have you left? How many have left? How many are staying? Retention, development. Where these programs always break is what I call the soft data. What are your black employees saying about you behind closed doors? Are we thriving? Are we feeling healthy? Are we feeling promoted? Are we feeling elevated? Are we feeling mentored? Why I love pull up is because at the end of the day, there's a number. Where are you going from that number? Are you gonna grow? Are you gonna make it a better place for black and brown people? And are you going to actually change that number? And I'd rather grade companies on that versus trying to indict them for what they've done because I'm not sure where that gets us. I've been also asked in my space as to what, what do the well-meaning white people do in this moment? Recruiting and, uh, and retention and ascension, that is a part of it. But another part is that makes them very nervous and very uncomfortable. White folks have to give some of their power and occupancy of space, particularly at the highest levels, they have to give it up. I actually have a slightly different view. I don't necessarily think they need to give up. Diversity is good for business. You know, diversity is good for business. Like, there is no point where we're telling a white CEO, step down from your role to make a black CEO. We're just saying, develop the talent pipeline. So maybe the next CEO will be a black person. So to be but honest... But don't some of them have to... But Sharon, don't some of them... Some yeah. of them do have to give something up, if we're being honest. Because Honestly, think about it. If you, have a, if, you have a, if you have a board of directors, right? Yes. And I'm just going to make a number up. It's got 20 seats. And yes. it's currently occupied at 20 capacity of white people. Yes. Some white people are going to have to give up those seats. There is going to be a talent uh, uh, process that needs to happen because, to be honest, a lot of black talent have not been fostered or developed within these organizations. So even if a lot of organizations right now say, hey, I want to toss out my CEO and put in a black CEO, they're probably going to have to rip a black person from another organization. So it's a step-by-step right. step process. It's not like there's only 20 seats and now one person of has course. to give up. The truth is that's a 20 seat that grows to 22, 23. We make whatever we want to do. Board sizes, you make it up. You decide what it is. As long as it's an odd number, it's okay. That's it. Yeah, well, I respect that, that opinion. Yeah. I was going to say. I just look. disagree. I do think they need to give up something. That's just. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, You're right. And, and You're I, right. I, I just want to see Well, you know why? And, and I do mm -hmm. want you to chime in here, Omar, because I do think at the highest levels of leadership, yes. it can't sustain as exclusionarily white. So there are some white CEOs today, six months from now, six years from now. 
that yeah. are going to be displaced. And to be yeah. honest, some of it, and this is why I say that it's just going to happen organically. For instance, some of these companies right now, the CEOs have to leave, not because of it's a white person giving space for black person. It's the performance is just not there. You're not losing your seat because you're doing charity for a black person. You lose sure. because you're just not the right person to lead you're not us up for the job. No, you're job. not. You're, you're a leader of yesterday, not tomorrow. Omar, your take on all of this. I'm known for saying, look, diversity is not about black and white. Diversity is about one color in America. It's green. Green. The more mm -hmm. of us you have, the more money you make. Mm -hmm. It's known. It's You look at the math. We are black is really good for business. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's easy to go have some initiative, donation, social media, hire a great black social media person, have all your, your posts be lit. But at the end of the day, to really create the business, you will start to see consumers and employees both asking for executives to lead more diverse groups of people. And then you will see diverse leaders step into those seats. So again, I don't think it's a matter of giving seats up. And I know where you're coming from, trust me, because I, I, over, the, over the years- I know y'all know what I'm talking about. Over, y'all like, being cute, but y'all know Over the years of being passed. No, but, I, and I think I can, I, can, I can say this for Sharon, we only ever wanted a shot. Okay, we wanted a shot. But in order for us to get a shot, don't some people have to get the hell out of the way? Well, well no, so what shot. I will say, what I will say, I expected a white executive, because here's what's interesting, right? There's a guy um, named Jimmy Iovine. He's one of the first white executives that, I would say, not only believed in me, but believed in me, chose me, helped groom me. I was young, I was risky, I made mistakes. I was crazy, right? But he saw something in me and he groomed me because he saw my talent. So. The give to me is not the seat. The give is that hand up into what's next. But it does require a disruption of a pipeline that historically yes. has only no, seen that, the expansion of, black, of white talent. Disruption of the pipeline. The pipeline has to change. My final word on this will be the fact that we do, as black people, belong in all spaces and in all levels of yes. our American society. And what we know for a fact, y'all, is there was no plan for that, right? Mm -hmm. We were bought in this country to be the marginalized, subordinate class of America. And mm -hmm. so this work that stands in front of us is revolutionary, right? Because mm -hmm. I submit for the first time in America's history, there is a collaborative call to action from mm -hmm. consumers, from mm -hmm. our allies, who I like to call, uh, when you're really about that life, now you go from allyship to co-conspirator. Now exactly. you're an active co-conspirator exactly. of dismantling a labeling and an existence of black subordination in this country. And when mm -hmm. all those things work together, y'all, then we as black folk can be at the highest levels of leadership. So with that, exactly. Queen Sharon, King Omar, I want to thank you for all that you're both doing to contribute to this transformational moment because it is that. This is transformational. And we are on the edifice of black liberation at every level, including in corporate America. Thank you both. Listen, we've got more to come right here on Revolt Black News. But first, a word. Cosmetics and beauty kind of all around me in fashion my whole life. Get a wig on, and okay. then also powder her. Okay. Tissue, and then let's see what the wig says. Okay. After that, and we'll know. Speaking to a community that I know, and what I'm showing is like, hey, this industry's been elitist for a long time. This, this industry has literally made their money, their fortunes, and bought their yachts, and bought their mansions, and everything off the backs of black consumerism, and off the creative 
leeching of like urban and, and black and, and minority communities and LGBTQ communities and like and has never made the the effort to represent them. It's to empower all people in this country, particularly people whose voices are not heard, who are being prevented from vote, whose vote is being suppressed. African Americans, Latinos, low-income people, students, and that's what this whole movement is about. Justice remixed, the sweet taste of justice. This is pretty dope. You can start where you are. There are activists, there are communities that are organizing right around you. But I think at this point, silence is consent in an age of incredible oppression. We need bravery. Together, we can transform the system to deliver justice for all instead of justice for some. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. My name is Ingrid Bess. I'm the Vice President of Global Marketing for Combs Enterprises. I'm excited to join with my guests, Jamila Williams and Donna Burston. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm Jamila Bowman-Williams. I'm a professor at Georgetown Law. I teach classes in employment discrimination, employment law, and a seminar on contemporary bias in law. So I look at structural bias, um, explicit bias, implicit bias, and how those shape the experiences in the workplace. Thank you for having me. My name is Donnie Bursi. I'm the founder and CEO of the Rosé, the first ever 100% owned Black Rosé wine brand from Central Pay. This is work that we've been doing all of our life, right? When you're Black, you're in corporate America, you're working, um, you show up this way um, each and every day. So, you know, it's really interesting, you know, this country really cares about Black culture, obviously. Um, but I can say that in my experience in corporate America, they haven't always cared about us. And I think more now than ever, um, there is a microscope um, across all industries in terms of the gap that truly exists for us as, as African-Americans. Um, for me, I think my experience, I think about the talk, right? As a mother with a, with a black son, you have that talk. It's now time for us to have that talk with corporate America. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, the time to start having this conversation, particularly when we've seen all of these companies give these statements of solidarity to the black community and saying they support Black Lives Matter. But my question is really inside, we know there's been so much racism perpetuated inside of corporate America and inside all of these big, huge economic giants. So what are they really doing at home to make the experiences of their own black workers better? It's one thing also to say, we're going to start to create these groups of diversity and inclusion that you hire employees, typically, which are low level or mid level employees, it's really about the extent of uh, professionals to really get in leadership positions, positions of power within these corporations. The companies like Hennessy and Diageo take so much money out of the, corporate, out of the uh, community. Are they really investing back in small brands or giving minority brands the infrastructure or the funding they need to really grow and compete in the, in the workplace? Because it's really about economic empowerment at the end of the day, whether it be through employment or through investing in the community. With 
point about just giving black people a room to grow and have leadership in a range of opportunities. I call this this point you make, Dante. I call it racial capitalism. So when we will, uh, when they will allow black people in and they'll say, okay, we'll hire you, but because we're hiring you to increase our profits because we need to serve this narrow market, or we need someone to run our diversity programs, or we need someone to defend us out of this, this discrimination lawsuit, right? So then you're pigeonholed. Yeah, Jamila, you make a great point. I mean, one of the things that I stress upon with the young people that I mentor, I remind them, you are not here to just be cool kids. You are here to lead businesses. And oftentimes in corporate America, they do pigeonhole these young marketers for the cool, the, the cool ideas, the trendy ideas. No, we're going to sit in, in, in quarterly business reviews. We're going to develop business plans. We are strategists. And that's what I pour into the young people that I mentor that are coming after me. Be bold and be explicit with your expectations of change. We have to breathe life into the people that want to believe that there is an opportunity to do that. Um, You know, there's an interesting um, phenomenon, I think, of uh, people also, Black people specifically, who are talking to white people in corporate America. And so I like to believe that I'm part of that phenomenon. The same way that I breathe life into the young Black marketers, I'm also sitting the white people down around them and saying, you know that that's not right. Did you see that? I saw that. I know you saw that. And so one of the things that I've really focused on is making sure that um, I don't isolate the conversation. The Mm -hmm. same way that I talk to young Black marketers that are coming up, I talk to young white marketers that are coming up. Because without them, nothing's going to change. It's been so systematic for so long that unless we have our allies, we have ourselves, we're unified and a front to make sure that there's equality for Black people, um, it's going to be really difficult for us to just do it on our own. And we shouldn't be expected to do it on our own. Even when you do get legal reform on the books, it isn't enforced and people still aren't held accountable. Like It isn't really set up to protect us. So that's part of what my research agenda is about. Like, Is the law even effective? And in many ways, I'm critical. My answer is no. So we need these organizational changes as well. We need lots of pressure internally and externally. And it can't just be us carrying that whole burden. So yes, allies, if you're watching, we need you too. So Danae, I have a question. You know, I've known you for a long time. I've seen your journey. Super proud of you. You inspire me. Um, with your Rosé brand, I know that it's, it's fundamentally um, rooted in giving back, right? You have a model of giving back. So uh, part of our college market initiative is to provide travel experiences for underserved and underprivileged kids. And that's twofold. One, there was a love of travel that I had. So I know what traveling the world after graduation from college did for me. It, travel gives you conversation. It just gives you a certain level of confidence. So it's very important for me to create a brand that gave back it did something else besides you know just just take from the community and and i think that's important for every brand especially brands owned by people of color is what can we do to give back i mean with all of the things that are going on in the world with once george floyd's uh murder you know spread across the united states and these corporations started jumping in we changed our travel initiative for the short term and decided to give to the color of change but also to organizations that help um, serve as a resource for pipelines into the wine and sports spirits industry because that's also a duty I have to myself. It's like not to be the last one. How do I bring other people up to this industry to help create diversity in this industry? And then maybe they'll go on and also create their own brand and become entrepreneurs as well. It was so good to connect with both of you. Um, keep going, keep pushing. We, ne- we need one another. 
Um, Donna, I can't wait to sip on some of your rosé. <laughs> I want to definitely stay in touch with you. Um, so thank you both very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation, y'all. Now, we're going to take a quick break. But first, we're going to hear from some recent Black college graduates who are expressing their concerns and, frankly, their anxieties about going into corporate America. Let's take a look. What I see happening, not happening, um, I see companies hiring Blacks just because they're Black. Um, it's great, obviously, if you're qualified for the job, that's great. But for companies to only hire just because you're Black, um, because they want to look more diverse, to me, that just doesn't sit right with me. Being a Black man in this country and trying to join corporate America can be a scary thing. There's a ton of stories out there of Black people in corporate America being blackballed, not getting promotions, not getting raises or equal opportunities. And it's just due to the color of their skin. And clearly this is unethical, but this kind of stuff does happen. A lot of us are not taken seriously, even if we do have a degree in entering corporate America. We don't have the same, I would say, fairness as other people who may have the same type of credentials and credibility as I do. And I think that's something that has been taking place for a very long time. I think one of the things that concerns me about entering the corporate world is cultural competency, um, more so the lack there of it. Because um, let's say something happens on the news and everyone's talking about it when you get into work, like not knowing that that is traumatizing for every black person. Um, and also like longevity with like anti-racist policies I know all of these companies are coming up with and trying to put in place. Um, longevity and enforcement, because you can write it down, you can make it a new rule, um, but how do you actually enforce that? Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now it's time for our Building Black Wealth segment. Joining me today is a brother who has done his thing. He is a tech entrepreneur and an author, Barry Gibbons. Barry, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Ebony. Glad to be here. Absolutely. I had to reach out to you because you are co-founders of one of your latest ventures with a like lifetime great friend of mine, Mr. Donnie Beamer. And as soon as I saw your profile uh, in a recent publication, I was like, this your boy, and, and he made this happen. So it, I love it. With, with I love to see it, as the kids say. Um, so Barry, you really disrupted the adult beveraging uh, industry with your mixing technology with Monsieur, which came out, I believe, in 2012. For those less familiar, tell us what Monsieur is and how it was so disrupted in the space. Yeah, yeah. So um, Monsieur was a uh, it was an automated cocktail making machine. Um, so we've all been to a restaurant at this point with one of those touchscreen machines that, um, you know, make your soft drinks and you can put different flavors in it. Um, so we developed and invented a version of that. But when you touch on the screen, you're selecting old fashions, Long Island iced teas, martinis, um, things. Yes, like keep going. And, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so basically we're, we, we disrupted the way that you think about getting a cocktail. Um, and so for places like a movie theater where they do not want to hire a mixologist and have a professional bartender that they have to pay a bunch of money, um, they can just put one of our machines behind the counter and the same person that's giving you a slushy and popcorn can now make you a quality cocktail. 
Now, one of the things that we know as black folk is that we are adamant consumers of technology. Yet, I know from your story, Barry, that when you go into the other side, not the consumer side, but the business ownership side of technology, for some reason, uh, and you can tell us about the specifics of that, black folks are not welcome in the same way that they welcome our consumerism, right? And I, I read about an example, you and your co-founders and some of your employees hit up the Kentucky Derby. So, uh, and, and immediately the vibes changed. Tell us about that experience. Um, you have three black guys um, that invented something that's now in the, the suites of all of the horse owners, uh, which as you know, are extremely wealthy individuals. Um, yeah, the upper, so upper echelon, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're walking around in the place that we definitely cannot afford to be in, but we earned our way in right. um, by developing something, um, uh, by developing a great product that Churchill Downs wanted to use. And right. as, we, as we were walking around back there, um, we had our, 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 our Kentucky Derby fresh on. Um, we're walking around in the back and people will come up to us and say, oh, you're the people that, uh, that made the machine. Um, and we had one white employee with us, um, really cool guy, but they would immediately look to him and say, yeah, man, how, how'd you find, how'd you find this idea? Like, how'd you come up with this idea? And we just totally not even believe or assume that all of the other black people that are around that any of us would have created it. Um, and then when we would tell them like, Hey, and it's funny, we had a, my first hire um, outside of the management team, um, was a young Asian late, uh, young girl, Asian girl named Alexa. And after it happened like twice, she just got infuriated <laughs> and she was like, he's not the founder. They're the founder. Okay. Okay. Alexa, she woke. Okay. Um, you, know, it's, you know, what's so tragic about it. And, and it's so common, Barry, we all experience it because I know yourself and Donnie and your other co Founder, you guys have the credentials, right? Again, we did everything right. You guys are Georgia Tech graduates, you're engineers, for goodness sake. I mean, it is it is textbook credentialed to the max. Oh, but yet by virtue, take me out yeah. of it. Donnie is Georgia Tech grad, yeah. Black Rock, MBA, worked at McKinsey. I mean, he's literally, if you looked at him on paper, you would want him to be CEO of any company that you're running. Exactly. Um, and that stuff doesn't matter. I mean, it, this yeah. is not a meritocracy, right? It, this is not a, um, it, it's just not a system that's built. It, it's a system built on relationships um, and nepotism. I'm, I'm going to leave it here because, you know, this is a part two conversation, Barry. We're going to have to have you back here on Revolt Black News to further discuss uh, this moment of black folks and technology and currency, because it's, it's critical. Uh, Barry Givens, thank you, my brother. Thank you. So we all know about the police brutality and violence that goes on in the streets. But for this episode, it was important for us to uncover and call out how corporate America has been keeping its knee on our necks in the workplace for years. Now, it might not seem as violent or overt, but it's active and it's very dangerous. Just because it's buttoned up in a suit and tie, don't mistake it for any less consequential and dangerous. In fact, it might be more dangerous, right? Because the workplace racism might not be able to touch it or see it in the same way, but we can definitely feel it. We all know that feeling. That feeling is their privilege at our expense. We'll know more. 
Now, it's about our progress at the expense of white privilege. Yes, this is a moment for equity. We have to start by seeing us, Black people, in every room, from boardrooms to C-suites, hell, any room there are employees in, we belong in those rooms, and at every level, including at the top. See, enough's enough on white-collar bullshit and on white privilege showing up in the workplace. Now is our time, our time for progress in every space, including at work. This is Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams.